0: Grace, peace, and mercy be upon you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray first before I speak. Gracious Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. The world is very messed up and we are in it and we ask for your protection and your guidance and your leadership during these times. Be with those who could not make it today. Send your Holy Spirit out. Roam the earth and find those who are receptive to your word that they may be given faith and receive it in joy to their eternal life. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> Groucho Marx said, military intelligence is a contradiction in terms. Uh, we used to say that in the Air Force, didn't we, Dennis? Yeah. Good morning is sometimes a contradiction in terms, depending on how you feel. The under-25-year-old Mormon men who come to your door wearing name tags that say, Elder So-and-So, is a contradiction. Or how about the road sign that says, Keep right, but the arrow points left. What am I supposed to do? I used to get a kick out of my old Pacific Bell telephone bills that said at the bottom... If your phone is out of service, give us a call at 1-800-blah-blah-blah-blah. Blah, blah, blah. Jesus tells the Jewish legalists, He is not God of the dead, but of the living. Yet Paul later says, Christ died and lived again, that He might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Well, what is He? Is He the Lord of the dead or not? It seems like Jesus and Paul contradict each other. Which begs a bigger question, does the Bible contradict itself? Well, you've heard that claim, haven't you? It's an important question because our critics use alleged contradictions in the Bible as reasons to disregard it as truth, and we need to know how to respond to them. Second, we Christians are confronted with seeming contradictions in the Bible, so what are we to make them. What are we to do? We have several choices when it comes to apparent contradictions in Scripture. One choice is to ignore them, move on. Another choice is accept the reality that the Bible is God's Word and are therefore committed to the belief that it has no errors. So therefore, the contradictions are not real or we could be curious about them and try to understand them more and be willing to spend the time and effort on them to see if perhaps they can be worked out. What can it hurt? Our faith? Is our faith so weak or fragile that a perceived contradiction in Scripture will be the the tipping point to walking away from Jesus? Some may have. But I'm willing to bet we can actually benefit from tackling the tougher sayings In the Bible. Now, ours is not the first generation to be confronted with supposed contradictions in Scripture. Those who have gone before us have wrestled with it going back to the fourth century. One of the early church fathers, Augustine, says this If we are perplexed by an apparent contradiction in Scripture, it is not allowable to say, The author of this book is mistaken. But either the manuscript is faulty the translation is wrong, or you have not understood. Well, since Augustine's day, we've had 1,500 years of discovering additional manuscripts, you know, copies of letters of Paul and and of the Old Testament, and we've had scholarly research. We have way more resources than what Augustine had. We know scribes made some mistakes in their copying and some changes, but nothing that puts into question historic Christian doctrine. All the texts have been compared. They all say the same thing. We also know some translations of the Bible are better than others. So when it comes to contradictions, the most likely problem is we don't understand them. To approach a contradiction, we must know what a contradiction is. If we were to say, the Bible contains contradictions and the Bible doesn't contain contradictions, that would be a contradiction. Because one statement affirms and the other denies the claim that the Bible contains contradictions. Both can't be true. To help solve this dilemma, then, we need to consider not only what the Bible says, but what it means. God has chosen to reveal himself to the world using a rich diversity of literature. The Bible contains 66 scrolls, parchments, and manuscripts written by a variety of authors at different times in history, with different styles, different languages, and genres. The Psalms, for instance, are different kinds of writings compared to the Gospels, or the letters of Paul. The Psalms are poetry, The Gospels are narrative, and the epistles are letters. Christians believe God inspired the authors to write without error, insofar as what God wants his people to receive and know. Now, you know, Paul's Greek is not always perfect. Neither is Peter's or Mark's. But what they say is not wrong. It's just hard to understand sometimes. In this apparent contradiction between Jesus and Paul, let's look first at who each one is talking to so that we can get a better handle of the context, right? So in Mark, in this reading of of Mark in your folder here, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem for the final things to take place. You know, his, uh, his betrayal, his arrest, and his crucifixion. The Sadducees come to him to try and trap him in a lie with their clever, legalistic talk. And Jesus isn't falling for any of it. He's speaking directly to them and accuses them of not knowing any spiritual thing of God. In responding to the Sadducees' ridiculous marriage scenario, Jesus flatly points out to them that Marriage isn't going, to mean the, isn't going to mean and be the same thing in heaven as it is on earth anyways. And as far as the dead being raised, if you're truly dead, you're dead. And you'll stay dead even when you're raised in the resurrection. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob believed and trusted God. So even though they died, they live and God is their Lord. Not so for the Sadducees. They don't believe or trust God, and so they are dead and will remain dead, and God is not their Lord. That's what Jesus means for the Sadducees in these verses from Mark. It's a stark condemnation for those who put their trust solely in the law and disregard the kingdom and the power of God. Paul, on the other hand, is not speaking to Sadducees, but to Christians living in Rome. Rome, of all places, the mother of all lion's dens and chief hazardous city for followers of Jesus. I mean, Rome wouldn't become safe for Christians for another 200 years after Paul had been through there. And Paul is doing the opposite here in this reading of what Jesus was doing with the Sadducees. Paul is encouraging his audience and giving them comfort in their trials. Now, he is, correcting that, uh, he is correcting some of their behavior because it would seem he's been informed of their quarreling with one another over some issues. But the dead Paul refers to are believers who have died. Christ is the Lord of those who have died in him. So he is also Lord of the dead and of the living. You see the difference? See, this contradiction on the surface can can be resolved once you dig deeper and look at who's speaking to whom and what they mean by what they're saying. Now, this is an easy one to work out. Other perceived contradictions are not so easy, but I won't get into those until they come up in uh, in the readings for the year. Here's one thing I want you to take home from this. Without Christ... Your sin, my sin, would condemn us before a righteous God who demands love of Him before all things and all other beings. He demands obedience and demands we love our neighbor, which we fail at every minute of the day. Without Christ, we would be truly dead, and God would not be the Lord of us. Okay, but He is our Lord. Because he has given us his son who died for us on the cross And shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin We will die, but we will live So he is our Lord in death and in life Why should we stumble or falter at his word and promises When they are difficult to understand Is he still not our Lord? Of course he is are his promises still true regardless of his difficult sayings? Of course they are. Can we acknowledge that perhaps the problem is with us? Of course we can. After all, we are not perfect. Our imperfect understanding of a perfect God isn't always going to be harmonious. Walter Kaiser is an American Christian writer, an Old Testament scholar, and public speaker. I want you to listen to what he says about contradictions and difficult passages in the Bible. He says this. Why should we contemplate hard sayings at all? The obvious answer is that scores of serious readers want to understand the difficult issues in Scripture. Besides this, wrestling with Scripture, we can sharpen our attention to the details in all our Lord's Word. Thus, the more intently and patiently we examine the text, the more handsome the dividends to our spiritual growth. Disagreements within Scripture also supply strong incidental proof that there was no collusion among the sacred writers. The variations instead go a long way toward establishing the credibility of both the writers and their texts. These hard sayings also may be viewed as a test of our commitment to Christ. Difficult passages can be handy excuses for begging off and following the Savior no longer. Jesus spoke in parables for just this reason, so that some who thought they saw, perceived, and heard would actually miss seeing, perceiving, and hearing. Indeed, the apparent harshness and obscurity of some of our Lord's sayings rid him of followers who were unwilling to be taught or were half-hearted in their search for the truth. They were not willing to look beyond the surface of the issues. There's nothing wrong or unspiritual, of course, about doubting, so long as one continues to search for a resolution. But there are some who cherish a spirit of petty and unnecessary objections, who are bent on misapprehending the truth and find in the Bible difficulties and disagreements which would seem to have been put there by God as stumbling stones for those who stumble at the word. The way Jesus deals with disobedience and disagreements in the Gospels is strong medicine for our more courteous and tame ways of disagreeing with objectors. Well, you know, you and I have been, uh, have been through a lot together over these last 14 years, as we have heard some very difficult passages from this lectern and this pulpit. And I don't always choose to, rev- uh, to resolve each one each time. But I try not to ignore them either, or gloss over them. I haven't seen many, if any, people of our church saying, "Yeah, I don't understand this. I'm out of here. Done." I mean, maybe it's happened, but I haven't seen it. That does happen in John's account of uh, Jesus teaching the crowds. Some say this teaching is too difficult. We're done. We're gone. And then Jesus looks at the, at the rest, the 12, and says, you want to go with them too? It looks like we're all in this together for the tough, long haul of making it to the place, the, you know, the goal of eternal life in which God is actively preparing for us even at this moment. So take heart. Jesus challenges us to think about him and realize he is more than a man, more than a prophet or teacher or just a good guy with some morals as some claim. We know he's more. He's our Lord and Savior. He loves us very much. Amen.